Welcome back to another short and sweet episode of the Operator's Manual. In this bit, I get Jerry to talk about leadership styles, specifically why fixed leadership styles are limited and how adaptive leadership offers what all leaders need in the very people place that is our organizations. We talk about why adaptive leadership is so important for you as a leader, why it matters on an interpersonal level, and how it's tied to an organization's success. Just a bit of a warning here that the first few minutes of audio are a little rough. Enjoy. Hi, Jerry. Hi. Um, let's talk about adaptive leadership, since it's a common topic at the dinner table, and you have a lot of thoughts on it. So you often cite a Department of Defense article on adaptive leadership, um, but HBR has a piece called finding the right balance and flexibility in your leadership style. And I'll just, I'll posit this here and it can maybe frame wherever you want to take it. But in it, they write, our research conducted with more than 1,000 managers across the globe suggests that what's out of date is the idea that a leader should adopt a fixed leadership style that's agnostic to the specific context in which he or she is operating single approach to leadership, whether it's traditional or emerging, is not going to meet the myriad of challenges that today's leaders face. And they, of course, also cite like the last two years, managing through the pandemic, et cetera, et cetera, as like an instance as to why this is so true. You know, I really appreciate this topic because you're right. You know, all kidding aside, it's been something that I have lived with now for almost 30 years. Because I actually read that original report back when I was a young, a wee lad. I was a young manager at Information Week magazine. For us, early on in an early age, 25, uh, into a position of having to, to manage a $100 million a year budget and 40, 50 employees. And I was scared shit. So I was reading everything possible. And I stumbled across this article. And... For the first time, I felt, you know, in a year or two since I'd been in this position, I felt like I could breathe. Because I realized that I had locked myself into a position, which was, I need to be a leader like fill in the blank. And, you know, the challenge with being a leader like blank is that, um, one of the first things you, you end up giving up is who you are as a leader. You start to disconnect from your own leadership style, your innate style. And typically, we do that out of a sense of incompetence, out of a sense of insecurity, right? I don't know how to lead, so I'm going to model myself after someone. So that's thing one on the why it felt so relieved. Thing two, I'll go back to some of the conclusions that I still remember. One is that uh, the Department of Defense studied small group leadership. And what they realized was two very important things. That the ideal size of small group leadership, of effective leadership, is about seven people. 
And if you think about it, think about all of the CEO clients and manager clients that we have. When does do things start to break down? It's when their direct reports start to be 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 14, 15, 20 people, right? And that the only way to actually manage directly 20 people or more is with a fixed notion of what it is to lead and how to lead. When I realized this, the the second piece of this is the realization that one should adapt how one leads to every individual. Now, this is kind of mind-blowing if you think about it, because almost every leadership book tells you these are the five things to do. So I want to be very specific about it. There are things that every leader needs to do in every instance, like tell the truth. Shocking, right? Or like be clear in your communications or, you know, but the, the breakthrough in the thinking for me was to spend time thinking about who the individual that I'm purportedly leading, who they really are. And not only do what they need versus what someone else needs, but what do they need in the moment? So I'll give you a very uh, specific kind of uh, illustration of this. Some people that we lead need specific directions and clear, concrete steps to know that they're making progress. And some people need autonomy and the ability to fail. And your job as a leader is to actually read the room. Your job is to read the situation. Your job, you know, in in a moment of crisis, when a company is going through challenges, one of the things the leader might have to do is clamp down and structure things really hard so that you create a sense of stability. But the minute things start to be a little bit more relaxed, you might want to open things up. But if you open them up, the person who has a lot of insecurity might get freaked out. So you give them some structure. And the other person who has a lot of spontaneity and creativity and enthusiasm, you don't want to kill that. So you give them a little bit more latitude, a little bit more flexibility. Now, that's what I mean when we talk about adaptive leadership. It's like constantly reading the road to figure out who needs what, when, and where. I'll pause there and acknowledge that that's hard. (laughs) It's really hard for the individual to do that. As you were talking, I was, I was trying to imagine or itemize what are all of the required skills. Um, And there's. Long list. There's a long list. Cause well, there's a, there's no book, right? Cause every leader's situation is entirely different. There you go. It's really relational. Yes. It's not transactional. Yes. It's super relational. What else do you notice? That it could be really hard to manage a team of seven or so when one person is a super, I don't know, doesn't like structure and somebody needs structure. (laughs) 
I mean, I can I can raise my hand in the doesn't need structure category and oh, oh more, more, more than doesn't need structure. If someone tries to lead you by imposing too much structure, what would be your reaction? I just won't do it. <laughs> I mean, if I if I wasn't the owner of a company, it would I would have a really hard time. But, you know, some part of my soul would probably be dying. But um, mm-hmm. it's. It's just not, I mean, it's, it would be hard, but to then it's one thing to manage individuals and get them aligned mm-hmm. on your, you know, uh, clear directional company goals. Uh, and then how do you bring them all together in the same room? Mm-hmm. How do you get them working together? Mm-hmm. So that's level two. Let's, let's talk through level one a little bit more. Because okay. one of the one of the other skills I think is uh, the kind of listening that Reboot teaches: deep, somatic, soulful listening. And you're right in relating this back to a relational style of engagement. It means tuning yourself into what that other person needs, and really trying your best to pay attention to that. And I'll cite two different sources of reinforcement for this in my own life. One is, uh, as you know, the nonviolent communications training that I went through. And just to flesh it out, nonviolent communications is a book I highly recommend. It's written by Marshall Rosenberg. And one of the most effective questions that I learned is to ask, in a sense, about the other person, what need are they trying to meet by whatever action they're doing? So, for example, if we went back to your, you as an example, there's a need you have in resisting being told what to do, in resisting structure. That need, understanding that need, is the most important uh, component of what it would be to be in work relationship with you. Because if we squelch that, and you said it quite articulately before, if we squelch that need, a little bit of your soul starts to die. And your creativity and your spontaneity and your innovation and your ability to to expand and be expansive and generative in your thinking. And at best, you become a rote robot, right? Compliant but not necessarily thriving. The other person that comes to mind is, you know, and I often cite her as my therapist, Dr. Sayers. And this is something that got reinforced in me um, when I was first training to be a coach. And she used to say to me all the time, almost as my senior coach, you meet the client where they are. You don't drag someone to where you are. Now, if we adapt that, to a leadership situation. And we think about how do we get a team to work together as a team? How do we get a team to work together fluidly with flow? You have to meet each individual team member where they are, not drag them to where you are. Now, I wanna be clear, this doesn't mean not holding people accountable to objectives and goals. Right. 
What it really means is understanding the most effective way for that person to meet their goals and objectives. Not, I'm going to give you the same set of goals and objectives as somebody else, and you must do it exactly the way somebody else is doing it. That is a prescription for frustration and failure. And I guess as I, as I so, so to me, that's level one. Um, the second thing, uh, sort of level two, call it, I'll give you another model for me. And that's Joe Torre, the former manager of the New York Yankees. And I often cite the New York Yankees, not only because I'm an obsessive fan, but because the 98 Yankees won more baseball games than almost any team in history. And if you think about the way that team was managed, um, there were a lot of superstars, but there were also a lot of what are known as good utility players, like a guy named Luis Soho. And Luis Soho just loved playing baseball. He just loved it. Every time he caught a ball, he'd just smile. And the thing that Joe Torre did with a lot of lowered egos on his part and everybody else's part was to create a sense of cohesive whole, leaving room for big ego players like Alex Rodriguez or even Derek Jeter and small ego players like Luis Soho. And every one of the players could contribute in their own way, play their own music, contribute their own art. And the ball would just flow from player to player to player, right? Jeter would throw the ball to Soho. Soho would throw the ball to, to Alex Rodriguez. And they never double-checked to see if the ball was going to be caught. they just throw, knowing that the ball was going to be caught. And again, they won more games than almost any team in history, right? Now... Forget the idealism I have about the Yankees in, in 98. The more important thing is to sort of take away from this is what we want is that flow among the team. We want everyone to feel like this is an opportunity for me to do the best work of my lives. Which means that the leader's job is to create the conditions for them to have their needs met and get out of the way. <laughs> even when the leader thinks they know there's something better that needs to be done. Some of our colleagues need the ability to fail. And some of our colleagues need the ability to never fail. <laughs> and our job is to be deeply relational, deeply listening, and responsive, adaptive, lean in, help here, help there, step back, and then it flows. You remember when we first started building Reboot and you and Dan would mock me continuously, right? I mean, you still mock me, but you would mock me continuously because I would tell the story about Tom Sawyer, remember this, and convincing people to paint the fence. Uh-huh. Right. And getting people to pay him to paint, paint the fence. Right. This is a story from either Tom Sawyer or Huck Finn. 
And you say, yeah, yeah, Jerry's just trying to get people to pay for him you know, and pay him for the benefit of doing that. That's true. That is my goal. But seriously, the goal is at the end of the day for people to feel, like, as Latsu said, when the work is done, the people say, we did this ourselves. So I know we're pulling on the string of adaptive leadership style, but for me, I like to see it in the, in the broader context of all of this, because if we approach it this way, the end result is hard work gets done by many hands. All of the hands feel proud of the work that they've done. And everybody gets to go home happy. And I don't see what's the point of building a business if you're not going to go for that goal. Good work done well for the right reasons. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, head to reboot.io slash podcast to explore past and present seasons of our podcast conversations. To help more people find and enjoy the Reboot podcast, consider leaving us a review on iTunes. You can find our step-by-step guide for leaving reviews in the show notes of each episode. And don't forget to join our mailing list at reboot.io slash sign up so you'll never miss an episode. Thank you for listening. At Reboot, we know that better humans make better leaders, and better leaders make more humane workplaces. We believe that work can be the way we achieve our fullest selves. We've amassed such a collection of resources since we began in 2014 that we wanted to bring them together in an arc of inquiry touching on each of the aspects of our formula, echoing the work we do with our clients. We've developed six zero-cost, long-form email courses, ranging anywhere from 15 to 80 days, These courses will help you better understand the fundamentals of communication, dig deep into radical self-inquiry, manage your psychology, as well as share practical advice for enhancing all aspects of your business. They're perfect for any leader looking to lead and live a more aligned life. Explore and sign up for our free self-guided courses at reboot.io slash resources.